A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yo, dude, what up? I bet you look in the mirror every day and ask yourself, Self, why aren't I subscribed to a Patreon that discusses pop culture featuring prehistoric animals? Well, guess what? You can be at patreon.com slash MatthewDonald. There you can find bonus content for both my shows, The Ritwit and Paleobites. For the Paleobites bonus content, just like you always wanted, we discuss pop culture featuring prehistoric animals. All your dreams have come true. This month we're talking about Dinotopia, the world beneath, the second big extravagant picture book in the Dinotopia franchise. Oh, it's great stuff. So beautiful. Such beautiful artwork. It is my personal favorite out of all of them. Got some great stuff, and it's so cool. A lot of cool stuff. It's really great. Link is in the description for you can sign up to the Patreon. Thank you for your support, and have a lovely day! Roar! Growl! Snarl! Hello. Welcome to Paleo Bites, the podcast that cheerfully reminds you that the water you drink was once dinosaur piss. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Matthew Dahl, and each week I and a rotating series of guest co-hosts talk about and rate a genus of prehistoric animal, be it dinosaur, mammal, arthropod, and so on. And this week we're talking about a heck of an arthropod. Uh, but this week I'm joined uh, by uh, the best backcountry-er. <laughs> best backcountry or that's the verb that's the, the <laughs> noun for it that's, I'm actually not the best well the best one I know Fair in enough. my collection of man cave dwelling nerds <laughs> it's Natasha Crack how are you oh I'm doing well how about you I'm doing great uh, it's a good day at the studio it is the weather out here is gorgeous a bit hot yeah it's a bit hot but hey it's not but it's dry heat I grew up in Texas that's humid once you go there, you can never go back. <laughs> I came from the Twin Cities. Yeah. Oh, that's true. It's humid there, Minnesota too. literally has 15,000 lakes. Like, honestly, I'll take having to put on chapstick every once in a while <laughs> over having hot, humid summers. I mean, I was at an ice cream shop joking with my cousin, made some other random dude laugh about how at least Colorado's dry heat yeah. will just burn you, but up in Minnesota... uh. We're turning it into pots of sticky rice. Right. Ooh, ooh, that's a good dinosaur-related question. <laughs> Here we go. So, uh, what is... Okay, for, it's two two prong question. One, what is the most stereotypical prehistoric animal you can think of? Like, when you think of, like, like old-school prehistoric environment, what do you picture inhabiting? I picture T-Rex and Stegosaurus. Okay. And the Triceratops. Okay. So, where in the U.S. would you think would be best 
for them in that, based on the humidity and the legitation. So, based on what we know, I would say I could picture a triceratops-like bison on the Great Plains. Yes, okay. Uh, Stegosaurs, maybe somewhere between the forest and the plains, in that interesting gray zone. Yeah, like, Stegosaurus was from Colorado, but they were from Colorado before there were mountains there, so I don't know if they'd do well in modern Colorado. Like They might (laughs) inhabit the front range. Yeah. They might inhabit the front range where you've got patches of forest, and you've got uh, large grassy areas. Oh, I guess that's true. They wouldn't uh, really eat grass, though, would they? We know that stegosaurs were herbivores. Yeah, but I guess it's, grass is just really hard to digest, though. It like, is. So throw in a couple ferns. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. As for T-Rex, I could see them along the front range. Yeah, they could probably be anywhere, If honestly, they were ambush like, predators, they would have hidden in the patches of forest and trees. Well, and plus T-Rex uh, had quite a range. Like, it, we have T-Rex fossils in, like, northern Canada. And uh, this back then, like, North America was further north than it is now. Fair. So in the winter, it probably got cold, probably to the point of snow. Probably. And so there's there's been, like, kind of a, a hypothesis, not a theory because there's no evidence for it, but a hypothesis that, um, you know, you know whether T-Rex was feathered or not, usually if it's that big and something hot, it probably wouldn't be, like in, like, elephants. But if it was further north, like, the, like even though it's the same species, there might be variants that have more feathers Regional than others. Regional variants makes yeah. sense, though. Yeah, because I think there's also T-Rex fossils in Mexico, I think. And those were definitely not feathered. Uh, but <laughs> but the, it would make sense for more northern tyrannosaurs mm-hmm. to have evolved at least some sort of downy coating to deal with the lower temperatures. Absolutely. They wouldn't have to be anything vibrant like a parakeet. <laughs> That's true. It might just be something more earth tone and practical. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Would I like that? No, I would like that. <laughs> yeah. I'd, uh, but yeah, I could imagine Triceratops kind of like a herd of bison out on the Great Plains. Yes. That yeah. would actually be a beautiful sight to see. That would be. It'd scare off all the bison, though. But <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing they didn't live together. Yeah, or like... They would have outcompeted them. Like in Good Dinosaur, when there was that one area with the bison and the T-Rex, you know. Because <laughs> it was like... Dinosaurs, the meteor missed, but some mammals still evolved to the point where there's humans and bison, but there's still dinosaurs. That was a weird movie. That is just weird. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of movies love to lump humans and dinosaurs together. Yeah. I mean, not that it's not fun fiction. Well, it really is. And that's the thing with, like, dinosaur fiction, though. That's, like, always the hurdle. Because, like, you need to have... You need to explain why humans and dinosaurs are together, because they're never naturally together. No, and... From an evolutionary standpoint, that dinosaurs uh-huh. tended to outcompete the mammals for the longest time. Absolutely. So and so, as our world is, it makes sense that humans and dinosaurs were never together. Right, and that's why, like, see, a lot of times in fiction, if you want to have a gimmicky premise, your gimmick has to be just one gimmick. Yes. So, and with dinosaurs, you're spending your one gimmick on why are they together? Yeah. Uh-huh. So. That's why the the types of dinosaur stories that involve humans can are quite limiting. Like I mean, I love the world of Dinotopia. Yeah, like that's a good one, but that it's, a, it, that's the thing. One of them is a lost world. That's yeah. a, that's one way. Or like It's a beautiful story. The lost lost world, some part of the place where there were where they've been lost, you know, where they still survived. Or, you know, like Jurassic Park like that we brought them back somehow or time travel. Those are like <laughs> the things you you can do. Um that's why, like, I feel like uh, 
in my Megazoic books, buy on Amazon.com. <laughs> I would say ding, but that was for my other podcast where I do cheap plugs. Um, uh, I circumvented that gimmick by having the gimmick be, oh, there were dinosaurs back then, but they had a civilization. And uh-huh. therefore, I can do a lot more with it, you know? Not yeah. as limited as if I had to explain why humans were there, so. I mean, dinosaur fiction serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's escape fantasy. Oh, I'd, I'd say most of the time it's escape. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a real dinosaur drama. No. Not yet. <laughs> Somebody come up with that. <laughs> oh, you know, because dramas are all about, like, the human condition or whatever. They are. I guess Land Before Time is kind of a drama. <laughs> like, In it's a way, like, it really Like, is. so... But I'm talking about, like, there's no Schindler's List of dinosaur no. movies. <laughs> no, and that's probably better that way. Yeah, like... Uh, I mean, some of the earliest dinosaur fiction I was exposed to, besides Land Before Time, was Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, uh, yes. Calvin loved to imagine himself riding a Triceratops, or sometimes dinosaurs in F-16s. Yeah, I was just saying, dinosaurs in F-16s, yeah. I- I'd like that. That's fun. I loved in some of the comic strips where he was zoning out at school and his desk turned into a triceratops and he would just ride off into the sunset. I would, I would like to do that. I feel like if I was going to ride a dinosaur, it would be a much uh, faster one than a triceratops. I feel like a triceratops would be kicking it constantly, like, move, move, just be kind of wandering. It's like riding a rhino, you know? Like, there's not much you can... It can I mean, it can go fast, but it needs, it needs to have a reason to go fast, you know? Yeah. I don't know, like horses, they love to run sometimes just to run, so... They really do. Anyways, speaking of none of this, <laughs> uh, although I guess I... I, I feel, uh, our tangents, though. Yeah. Our, our listeners seem to really enjoy our uh, rabbit trails. I mean, as far as I know, like, no one sent me an email being like, guys, stop tangenting and talk about the damn dinosaurs already. <laughs> and like, alright, alright. Uh, we're talking about uh, Mega Neura today, though. The large nerved one is what that means. <laughs> This is uh, the ultimate prehistoric dragonfly. Uh, I guess what I could have asked you was, if if you could imagine this thing in any part of the U.S., where would you have... That's kind of more what I meant. Probably over large bodies of water. I was going to say, like, Baton Rouge. Yeah. (laughs) New Um, Orleans. The Great Lakes. Yeah, the Great Lakes. Yeah. Technically, one of those Great Lakes is a sea. Oh, yeah. Lake Superior is not a lake. It's a sea? Is it salt water? It is not, but it, it's fresh water. It's an inland sea, but it's too big to fit the geographical like, definition of a lake. Like the Black Sea. That's a sea. Is it salt water? I think that one might be. Oh, okay, because it's a bit bigger. So, But the Great Lakes are all interconnected fresh water. Oh, okay. And Lake Superior just happens to be so big that it is... By definition, a sea. Wow. And you actually need to be extremely careful when dealing with it if you're out on a boat. Right. It has claimed lives in U.S. Oh, history. Oh, wow, really? There <laughs> are sunken ships, including at least one Civil War era ship at the bottom. Wow. Can you imagine? I wonder if there are pirates, freshwater pirates. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard anything, but I'll have to uh, go pester some U.S. history nerds. They might have some stories yeah, for us. That that sounds cool. <laughs> uh, did you say ironclads were down there? Did I make them? Uh, just said Civil no, War ship. Cl- uh, there was a wood ship up there. Oh, so, I heard think of Civil War ships. I think of like ironclads. No, that was uh, the coast. 
Yeah, that'd be cool. That would be. Ironclads are amazing. Like that's a, what a for, feat of engineering for the time. Yeah, for that time. Like wow. that's like a battleship. Like it was an early battleship, or you could even argue it was an early submarine because of how it sat in the water. That's true. <laughs> Although I do think the South attempted and had some tragic failures with submarines. Yeah. I saw a documentary recently. Like like back then. Yeah. Oh wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. I would have to double check the names and everything, but there were a few very tragic incidents with some early attempts. Wow. That we wouldn't see until much, much later. Anyways, Meganura. <laughs> That's rare that we start tangenting before I even get to the type of creature. <laughs> well, you brought up uh, where the I, I did. That was, my, that was my bad. <laughs> All right. Type is a Odenopterid. The group of insects that includes the modern-day dragonflies and damselflies. What's a damselfly? They're an itty-bitty little thing. They, you can, If you come across one, you can see that they're definitely related. Okay. All right, Their cool. tail kind of turns up. Oh, kind of like a little scorpion kind of? Yeah, but they're totally harmless. Oh, that's good. Totally harmless, just like dragonflies. Totally harmless. Okay, here we go. Size, 26 to 30 inch slash 65 to 72 centimeter wingspan. Impressive. 3 to 5 ounces or 85 to 150 grams. Not bad. Yeah, 3 three feet. Like, that's nearly 3 feet. It's not quite 3 feet. That's it's, the equivalent to several modern birds of prey. That's 2.5 feet. Yeah, stretch your arm out. That's about the length. Maybe a little bit shorter than that, but like maybe up to your hand. That's... That's an impressive wingspan. Yeah, that's that's a drag. That's a Meganura. Uh, it was a carnivore. <laughs> of course, like their modern counterparts. Yes, yes. Uh, time late Carboniferous, uh, three hundred and five to two hundred and ninety-eight million years ago. Uh, so they're long gone. Long, long gone. This is before the period before the Triassic. So you're like before the Triassic, right before the Triassic got the Permian, and before the Permian was the Carboniferous. So <laughs> uh, location France. Of course. Of course. I don't think of France when I think of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean some of the best finds have really been in Europe because they were interested in paleontology. That's so true. Early on. That's just where they were, yeah, where they started out. Yeah. I'm sure that there were subspecies around the globe. Oh, I'm sure. But right now, the, the main fossils we have are in good old France. Uh, it was described in 1885, so around the time when good old France was building their Eiffel Tower. <laughs> oh, interesting. So they were like, ugh, oh, sweating so crazy building this stupid thing for the World's <laughs> Fair. I'm going to go out and hunt for some fossils for a break. Oh, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of fossil finds have happened on accident. Maybe, wait a minute. Maybe this thing was... Uh, hold on. When was the Eiffel Tower finished? It was in the 1880s, right? But when in the 1880s? No, oh, that's... Let's Google! On air, guys! All hail the mighty Google. Yeah. All hail! All hail modern times where nothing's a mystery anymore. <laughs> Except for whether dark matter is going to win the battle against gravity and decide the fate of the universe. But... You know, that's a minor thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not no big deal. Unless okay. you're an astrophysicist. Eiffel Tower. Do, 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 do. It was completed in 1889. Oh, and construction started in 1887. So, never mind. They weren't... While they were conceptualizing the plans for, like, Mr. Gustav Eiffel, I think was his name, was like, I've got this idea for this big tower 
They're like, oh, you're wearing me out already. I'm gonna go hunt for some dragonfly fossils. <laughs> so. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Oh, uh, interesting. Uh, that's what happened. Okay, so it wasn't quite being constructed yet. Uh, pop culture appearances, uh, walking with monsters. Nice. Uh, Nigel Marvin's prehistoric park. Um, Ark Survival Evolved, Dinosaur Train, <laughs> cool. Terra Nova, and possibly the original Jurassic Park novel, which features a scene where dragon giant, with giant dragonflies with six-foot wingspans are shown buzzing around Grant and the kids. Wow! However, given that those are far bigger than Meganeura, and how unlikely it would be to find DNA of something that old, especially since considering that... Uh, Injun's main source of DNA, the blood of mosquitoes trapped in amber, would not have touched Meganeura as it predates mosquitoes by hundreds of millions of years. I'm more inclined to believe this is just Injun messing around genetically with modern dragonflies. I mean, why not? Yeah. I think there was, like, uh, a scene in, like, maybe The Lost World or something where they mentioned they did a little elephant as a test. Uh, yes. Scientists in <laughs> sci-fi, right? Right, exactly. Making things happen that technically can't. <laughs> Uh, that is oh, science in a nutshell, yeah? Speaking of our earlier tangents, I actually did bother to look up Civil War-era submarines. Oh, okay, yeah, let's... Let's get off on another tangent, folks! Yeah, okay! <laughs> Alright, so, the Confederates did have one. It operated 1863 to 1864. That is an early-ass submarine. It was known as the Hunley. Hunley, huh. Yep. And it sank in... 1864, Ooh. and it was the enemy ship to the Union vessel, the Housatonic. Was that another submarine? Nah, it was just another... There were no submarine-on-submarine warfare just yet. Not <laughs> yet. <laughs> but yep, the Hunley was the Civil War-era submarine. Oh. Interesting tidbit about U.S. history. That came from A terrible time. Yeah. That came from Encyclopedia Britannica. Ah, okay, cool. Interesting. So, at least a credible source there. No, that's good. That's, that's crazy. Civil War submarines. That's, that's not what I think of when I think of the Civil War. <laughs> Most people wouldn't. And I remember just seeing that clip in an obscure documentary. Mm. And, well, it got stored in my walking encyclopedia of weird. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, well, that's a, just a cool, fun fact to tell at parties, I'd say. <laughs> uh, all right, so unlike my co-host here, I'm not a bug person. <laughs> I hate them. I hate every one of them. Even butterflies freak me out. <laughs> Meanwhile, I as 
a high school student volunteered at an invertebrate zoo here yeah. in Colorado. The Butterfly Pavilion? Yes. And didn't you say before that you were also not a bug person, but that um, kind of wore you down? Yes, no. I tolerated certain insects. I used to be utterly terrified of spiders. Oh, uh, okay. Nowadays, I'm a little bit more friendly to them. If I catch them in an inconvenient place in my house, I'll just scoop them up with uh, whatever vessel I've got on hand. Yeah. And go dump them in the garden. Oh, wow. Nice. You're a better person than I am. (laughs) I have dumped jumper spiders on my tomatoes a few times Uh. and told them, guard it. (laughs) Nice. Um, So, yes, I am actually weirdly comfortable around insects. As a kid, I used to be able to snatch dragonflies out of the air. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. It was always a fun little thing to try and do. (laughs) They're fast. They're maneuverable. I see how they've survived. Could you snatch them without killing them, though? I feel like if you grab them, you'd just squash them. Yeah. It was something I learned to do as a kid. I can't do it as an adult. Right. I used to watch the little blue dragonflies dart everywhere, and I would try to catch them, and every so often I would have a success. (laughs) Nice. And then let them go after observing their beautiful wing patterns. Which I'm sure Megan Nura had as oh, well. Oh, I'm sure, absolutely. But, but like seriously, like I am, I am really anti creepy crawly. It's not even funny. Like if the last male spider and the last female spider on Earth were right here, I'd squash them under my shoe and never think about them again. <laughs> I know, I know that'd be terrible for the environment, and you know we need spiders to do all this stuff. I hate creepy crawlies. <laughs> I irrationally hate them. <laughs> At least I recognize it's irrational, you know. <laughs> well, some of it can be rational. Um, while I am friendlier towards insects, centipedes will send a shiver up my uh, spine. Centipedes. (laughs) Not millipedes. Centipedes. Yeah, millipedes are kind of cute. Millipedes. Centipedes. And they're venomous. Oh, of course they are. (laughs) And, uh, unless you know what direction they're going, telling their head from their tail can be difficult and... That's purposeful. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Ugh. Ah! See which direction it's crawling. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, so I hate creeper crawlies, as you can tell. Therefore, the Carboniferous period is the absolute last place in the timeline I would ever go visit if I were a time traveler. <laughs> as I discussed in the Arthur Plura episode, one of the first episodes of this whole show, actually, uh, the oxygen levels in the atmosphere back then were the highest in Earth's history. And uh, as we understand it, that's what allowed insects to get to such massive sizes. Yeah, and it was that high thanks to the spreading of plants and the lack of creatures able to eat them yet. And this was great for insects, as you were saying, as they breathe through what's known as book lungs, which rather than breathing in and out, they simply absorb the oxygen directly from the air. And modern insects still use that. Yes, and it's not very efficient and limits their maximum size, but with more oxygen in the air, that maximum can get much, much bigger. <laughs> and so the creepy crawly hellhole that was the Carboniferous period was born. Like when people picture in their heads when imagining a stereotypical prehist- prehistoric environment, it's usually the Carboniferous with its murky swamps, giant ferns, thick jungly foliage, enormous bugs. It's <laughs> no lava, I guess. I mean, like, there probably were volcanoes back then. Probably. But uh, yeah, that's basically like the stereotypical prehistoric environment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know what was also interesting about back then? You know that the, the, it was called the coal forests, right? The coal swamps. Have you heard that term before? I have, actually. Here's the reason why. And it's actually kind of interesting. So when those when those uh, big forests first evolved, they uh, naturally there wasn't really anything yet to be able to break them down like there is now yet because there, there wasn't a need for them yet. Uh-huh. Those evolved first. And therefore, when they died... They, they would, became coal. They became coal. Part. They would just... They, rather than rot... They just kind of deteriorate until they you know, broke down into coal. Underneath 
the surface back then was just this huge layer of coal. And it's because of this, like even millions of years later, this coal stayed there, even after by that point, oh, uh, we have mic- microbes have evolved to break down trees. And this big layer of coal became a big, big problem <laughs> in what was known as the Great Dying, <laughs> the Pan- Permian Extinction, which, you know, was caught the death of 95% of all life on Earth. And it was due to volcanoes. A bunch of volcanoes erupted in Siberia uh, due to the starting to form Pangea. All the Pangea had been around a little bit by then, but it was like that, that started to really bubble up. Fires started going everywhere, and guess what happened to all the coal? Well, <laughs> coal is flammable. Oh, yeah, it exploded. The Mythbusters would have loved it. Uh, from a safe distance. Of course. I.e. Mars. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but so in these coal swamps, one of the land's top predators was Meganura, the subject of today's episode. Meganura was the size of an eagle, and like them, it was a fierce predator. It had spines on its legs, specifically on its tibia and tarsi, which are nerd terms for parts on arthropod legs, (laughs) um, that could use to spear prey and carry it off to eat. Uh, Makes sense. This prey includes smaller insects, other types of arthropods, and even some vertebrates, uh, most of which were still quite small back in this time. And some of these vertebrates were the first synapsids, a.k.a. the ones that evolved from primitive aminodes and split from the sauropsids, the ones that evolved into reptiles and other descendants, like dinosaurs and birds. And so it's very likely that these early synapsids were preyed on occasionally by Meganeura, and since synapsids are the ones that evolved into mammals, that means that, yes, if you go back far enough, our direct ancestors were once hunted by this giant insect. <laughs> ah! I hate bugs! I hate them so much! These days, modern dragonflies specialize in eating... Mosquitoes. Yes, yes. The state bird of Minnesota. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> uh, if this thing was alive today, it'd be the state bird in many places. <laughs> <laughs> it probably would. Yeah. My favorite state bird is New Hampshire because there, it, the joke is the drivers are so mean that the state bird is the middle finger. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a common joke in the northern states yeah. that the state bird is a mosquito. So it's not just exclusive to Minnesota. No, no. You go to Michigan, Alaska, any of those northern states with a ton of lakes and a ton of humidity, uh, yeah, state like, bird's a mosquito. See, see, like, I, I, uh, there are two things I hate most in this world. Cold temperatures and bugs. Uh, Often they have an inverse relationship. Yes, where, they do. But in those areas, in like in the northern U.S., there's both. <laughs> yeah. So I'm avoiding those places like crazy. Like I, <laughs> I will never go there. Except I, I want to go to Cedar Point, which is a theme park I think in Indiana or I've Iowa it. or something. It's one of the best theme parks in the world or in the country at least. Um, and uh, that's cl- getting dangerously close. <laughs> so, uh, Thing is, unfortunately, you do want to go when it's hot because that at least the weather's predictable. Yeah, I guess it's true. But after a certain point, and the further north you go, the sooner it turns. Absolutely. Oh, man. In a lot of those places, there's only two seasons. Winter and construction. Ah! <laughs> that construction's more annoying than scary so that's good yeah but they have to jam all their construction projects into a smaller time window yeah i guess meanwhile here in colorado construction season's all year round (laughs) that's true and uh, while our weather is unpredictable 
you can be a lot more flexible with the unpredictability. That's that's true. We <laughs> could have 90 degrees on Christmas. We could, couldn't we? Wait. I remember it happening at least once. Yeah. I remember being outside with my brothers, remote control cars. Yeah, that's true. I remember it snowing in June once. That's not uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's weird, man. Anyways. All right, well, let's write this big monster of an insect, one out of 65 million. For sure, novelty factor, it gets at least 30 million for me, but really... Like, uh, it's so creepy. I don't want... I mean, I know I know it would be fascinating. I know it wouldn't hurt me, but... Yeah. 30, 30 million and two <laughs> for me. What about you? I'm sure you're going to rate it a lot higher. For me, the fact that I love dragonflies, and that they are just incredible creatures, I'm going to give this thing a good 40 million. Oh, really? That's actually still lower than I thought, but... And here's why. While it is cool that it had the wingspan of an eagle, sadly, it didn't make it past its era. No, it didn't. Oh, you'd want to see it now, huh? I think it would be kind of cool if it made it alongside the dinosaurs. That would be cool. That's true. Imagine you had these things with dinosaurs. Like, that that, that, that seems like an easy thing to imagine. Yes, it probably would have preyed on the smaller dinosaurs. That's but true. by the time the dinosaurs came around, other aerial predators were evolving. That's fast. true. Oh, man, can you imagine the early pterosaurs, the ones that ate insects, saw this thing like, whoa, that I gotta munch on this. That probably would have affected the path of evolution. That's true. I guess that's true. Like, the, the pterosaurs from back then, a lot of them were about this size, so... Yeah. It would have been some interesting aerial the, matchups. There'd been some competition there, yeah. And the dragonflies would have had maneuverability. Yeah. But they wouldn't have had the weight. No, they wouldn't. They would not have. Uh, but but I, also, there was no there wasn't enough oxygen back then, so it wouldn't have happened anyway. So. Yeah. So the fact that it got stuck in one era and didn't actually make it out of that, unlike a lot of species we talk about where they cross into other eras, yeah. that's where it loses a few points. I get me. that. I get that. That's true. All right, well, that's it for this week. If you want to get a hold of the show, you can contact me at matt at matthewdollandcareer.com. For any general questions to any of the co-hosts, you can ask Natasha, like, how was the Butterfly Pavilion? How did you survive? <laughs> Those are actually some really fun stories. And I yeah. can tell you that I actually helped a lot of people in that time that I volunteered with their fear of arachnids. Oh. Well, I, I, I would uh, do that, but I'm too afraid. Like. <laughs> That's fair. Like, I'm too afraid. I don't want to even... I'm so afraid of arachnids, I don't want to do the work that it would take to not get afraid of arachnids. Because that would mean I have to be with some arachnids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know some people conquer their fear. Like, those old those TV shows, those reality shows. It's like, conquer your fear of snakes. Dive into a tub full of hundreds of snakes. That works for only a limited number of people, yeah. though. So, I'll tell you how they started me. Yes. When I started volunteering there... Yes, they did start me with the creepy crawlies because everybody wanted Wings of the Tropics, where the butterflies were. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they put me with the creepy crawlies to start. They started having me handle the Madagascar hissing cockroaches, which ah. you let people handle. They sound like an air compressor when they hiss. <laughs> That's how they start you. They start you small. <laughs> That's small. I'm all right. I would already fail. <laughs> at that. And then, uh, because sometimes I would arrive early to my volunteer shifts, they would have me water some of the creepy crawlies. Some of them did require some more caution. Mm -hmm. But after a while, you learned that most of the creepy crawlies kept to themselves. Yeah. Like, I know that a lot of people hate the brown recluse. I had to water it a few times. <laughs> I well, my dad stick... was bit by a brown recluse. Yikes. Ugh. Yeah, I could stick my hand directly into its enclosure, and it would stay in its corner. <laughs> <I> would... <laughs> there were some, though, that you didn't do that with, like the Black Widow. 
Yes. You just missed it those. Uh, most of the tarantulas were actually pretty chill. There was only one that actually scared me. Yeah, was it like really fast? Like I just It was fast and here's the thing about tarantulas from Africa. Yeah. They have attitudes. Same with the ones from Asia. <sighs> they have attitudes. <sighs> so the one that I kept a close eye on is also known in the hobby as the orange bitey thing. Oh god. <laughs> it is big and it's bright orange. They are known as uh, Mombasa Starburst tarantulas or orange baboons. That was was the one that scared me. Ah! Because it did bite somebody. Ah! (laughs) And what's worse is that they didn't let him live it down. They put a picture of that thing on the guy's desk. Ah! (laughs) This was an arachnologist, so he should have known better. Ah! If you want to support my work, I have a book series (laughs) on Amazon. Megazoic. Available for print and Kindle. Uh, Ah! That's it for this week. If we say at the end of every episode of Paleo Bites, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess this one's easy. Like, <laughs> all right, bye. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.